0: listening to Mastering Retention, presented by UserWise.
1: Hi, everyone. Uh, Welcome to today's episode of the Mastering Retention podcast. Uh, Today is actually a special episode. Uh, I don't think I've ever actually had anyone that isn't specifically in gaming. Uh, Well, first off, we have a wonderful little dog with us, too. Uh, But we also have uh, Natalie Saradsky. Um, who is actually uh, a UX consultant at Google. Um, And she spends a lot of time kind of helping with uh, user research and interface design and how to do things. And um, I I know we've kind of gotten to connect a little bit uh, over the past few months and it's been a lot of fun just having uh, chats back and forth. So Natalie, I'm, I'm super excited to have you on. Um, and to just, you know, delve into a little bit more about, like, the, the user experience side of, of things, especially within gaming, um, I think it's something that gets overlooked by a lot of gaming companies, and I think there's a lot of kind of improvements or things that can be learned from, you know, apps that are maybe outside of gaming on how do we actually apply these to gaming and just make better experiences overall. So. Uh, i always like to ask you know what's your story how did you you know get to where you're at today
0: yeah um thanks for that intro tom uh it's been great going back and forth um and yes definitely it's um i, I agree that it's many times it's overlooked uh the user experience and uh designing with user experience in mind and how important that is for retention since we are in the mastering retention podcast um so my story uh, I'm, I'm going to try to shorten it a little bit um, i've been always connected to um, one market research to user experience and actually my first um, real job was for a company that designed and sold um board games for children And um, my job, I I was always connected to marketing. My job was to actually create loyalty and retention um, and sell those games even better uh, to our customers. Um, And then I had a series of of different jobs. I worked for L'Oreal for a little bit, so like multinationals. And then um, I went into the startup kind of world. I I ended up in this uh, tech startup where uh, my job was uh, being a product marketing manager, but in a startup you do a little bit of everything. Uh, so I started really getting into trying to understand our customers. Um, it was the early times where some so many tools were going into the market uh, where you would be able to chat to your customers, and install some tools like Intercom, Hotjar, so you would see uh, some um, kind of you <laughs> heat maps on on uh, what were users doing. And I started really getting into that. Trying, trying, I was trying to understand what was important for them. How can I make uh, this business grow even further and really getting into the psychology part of it. So if I put an image to the right, would people look at it more? Um, if I use these colors for this button, if I work with the design department with that, will this have an impact? Um, so I really got into the psychology part of the consumer um and i realized how important that was for retention in every aspect um so i went on i did my master's on consumer behavior and market research to try to really add some theory to what i was already doing by spying on our consumers on uh trying to improve that business um and yeah that's uh after after that masters i went into google where um i've been working first as um, trying to improve the customer experience for the the play um, environment for the support experience. And actually now I'm a UX consultant for the apps and gaming world, uh, where I do help um, developers from mainly Europe um, but all over the world to improve their retention, their engagement, and definitely their monetization. So that's a little bit uh, my story in a nutshell. Uh, of course, it has a lot more nuances and it was a hell of a ride but that's how I got here that's
1: great okay I have uh, a lot of questions (laughs) but let's um let's maybe start with uh UX consultant stuff um so I, I don't know if you can tell me you know some games that you've worked with but um let's pretend I have a game um where maybe, like, unintentionally, I kind of made a bit of an Archero clone because I've seen a lot of them that are coming out of late. Um, and, uh, you know, let's pretend, I don't know, I have maybe like 30% day one retention. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to understand, you know, how can I improve this? Like, I, I've got a target of 40% D1 retention. Um, before I kind of keep moving on and keep improving my game Um, but I kind of come to you and it's like okay obviously like some people find this fun like it's not an atrocious game but it's not you know where I need it to be Um, you know what would your approach be to you know help a, a game in that case you know identify what are the actual things that I'm doing you know you know, I, I, I default to looking at, you know, where's my funnel and I look at the data and I, you know, are there big cliffs where it's falling off? But sometimes there aren't any like really big cliffs that are falling off and you're just kind of at a loss of like, well, do I keep, do I push out the other features that I think it's missing or do I keep spinning my wheels on this? Do I go to a different game or are there some ways that I can actually save this game?
0: Oh, man, <laughs> uh, you could do so many things. We, we could than, uh probably the rest of the podcast, just talking about this example, actually been there, done that, have worked with clones of our care, actually. Uh, so the main thing um, that I would check, for example, is you mentioned you had like this 30% the e1 retention you want to get to 40 um the first thing i would say there is that the they 30 um one retention a 30% is not necessarily bad so one of the things i do uh first thing first is i i try to create a peer group uh, so i try to check um, in this case uh probably our carol and then uh, many other games are targeting the same um the same customers the same users uh they they have the same kind of mechanics the same design i create this peer group and then i try to check the average right so maybe the average for that specific genre for that specific game and category is around 30%, right? So then what I would try to do is compare your game um, to that peer group, to that aggregate, and try to understand how you're comparing uh, with them. Um, What's the standard? What's the benchmark there? Because a number is not necessarily good or bad by by their own. And this changes a lot by uh, one genre to the other from app category to app category. Uh, So let's just do like a health check on how you're doing mm-hmm. um, then the second step would try to to see okay if um from this peer group who is performing at the top? Like what are the top performers doing? I I have this background in UX research. uh, So I do like to do my research. Um, I try to check all these other games, what they are doing good, what they are doing bad in terms of UX. How is their day one? Uh, What is their strategy? How's their onboarding like? What's your onboarding like? Are there any obvious differences there? Any obvious flaws, any obvious uh, UX? Flows are broken that you could use, um, and I what I have seen is that many, many times um, developers don't give the importance to the onboarding, uh, to the onboarding that they should mm-hmm. have. Uh, so onboarding has all these purposes, all these um, amazing kind of um, resonance with the audience that you you might not be leveraging. So I would try to to see what's your onboarding like mainly because day one retention is a consequence it's a direct consequence of your onboarding how successful your onboarding is so if um your users are not seeing the value of your game straight away if they are not getting into the flow if they are not having fun uh you know within a few minutes um of starting your game if you have ever uh read the book uh, by New Yearial, I'm, I'm sure that this has been mentioned a lot of time in this podcast. I have heard this podcast um, in the past. Uh, you know that the user has this itch, uh, and you need to scratch that itch as soon as possible. So if you're not doing that with your onboarding, if you're not teaching also the main mechanics for the user to be able to to scratch that itch. Um, then probably that's going to have an impact on your day one retention. So there are so, so many aspects, so many things that you can check to make sure that your day one retention is optimized, um, that I, I would try to check all of them, right. Um, and specifically, uh, as I said, a number is only a number. It's not good or bad depending on your peer group and how the category is doing.
1: Okay. I've got a couple questions that I'm guessing that the audience (laughs) kind of has too. Okay. The idea of, you know, putting together a peer group, um, is, is pretty cool and pretty good. Um, first off, how would I actually find like what my peer group is? You know, I, obviously arch archero is probably like the top of the list and probably the one that's out there. Um, but you know, what are all of those other games that are doing good that i'm not aware of and then maybe even more importantly what are the other archero clones that are doing terrible and that i could probably learn a lot from and i don't want to like recreate those um but you know those ones i probably there's going to be very little information out there so how do i really appropriately put together like a full picture of a peer group.
0: So um, I did two things here. Um, as a developer, you usually know who your main competitors are, but let's say, let's put it in a case where you have no clue, literally, who they are. Um, there are a couple of ways, so I'm not going to advocate for Google, so let's put Google and iOS. Uh, actually, the, <clears throat> the Play Store and the iOS, the App Store, they would give you pretty good hints in the related games um, categories and then mm-hmm on the tags so each game has some tags so for example Archer would have maybe strategy or uh, multiplayer or single player action so all these tags um, you can also follow them and see who are the top grossing games for example of course it requires a little bit of research a little bit of time uh, from the developer side to try to check those games I do encourage everyone check your competition of course if you were to open any other business you would go if you were to open like a donuts business you would go to Dunkin Donuts right like you would if you were to open a coffee store you would go to Starbucks, you would do some kind of research. And for games, it's the exact same thing. You would go and check um, who is doing best at this category, who is uh, top-grossing, who is top-selling, who has the best reviews reviews can tell you so much about the game you were asking who is um doing badly so you check who has the worst reviews ever in your category who has like the same kind of tags that your game would have or has mm-hmm. if you have it published um, and then you go to the worst and best uh reviews and you see what customers are saying um and definitely you can learn so much and there you have your peer groups i would suggest maybe like Eight to ten um, other games, other peers to to that peer group, uh, but it's as easy as that. That's that's the most straightforward way um, you can do to to get your peer group and and to to compose that.
1: Like that. And then you also talked about this idea of an itch that players yeah. need to scratch. Um, so you know, I've got a game. How do I figure out what that itch is? that you know players need to scratch like I could maybe come up with some hypotheses or maybe like what I feel when I'm playing that but is that actually the itch or is there a a formula or a way to figure out this is the itch that I scratch when I play Candy Crush, and this is the itch that players you know, scratch when they play Clash of Clans or, or whatnot. You know, uh,
0: there are many types of uh, player profiles. There are many types of itches, uh, but I know in this, pos- in this podcast, there has been a lot of talk about motivation. So definitely that's an important thing to keep in mind. Uh, we are all human beings, so we do have uh, so kind of common background uh, in terms of our motivation and why we want to do things. Um, and And there have been so many uh, reports around why do people play games, for example, Um, and one of the things I always tell developers in my consultations uh, is around progress and it's around uh, this kind of theory of the self determination theory, why do we do things there three components there. Um, And one of the main um, components to that theory is around the competence, which is essentially uh, this idea of progression, this idea of mastery, of upskilling. And I see that in many, many games that's not taken into account. And if you see many reports, across regions across different player profiles across different countries um one of the top three reasons that has always come up at the top might be one might be two might be three but it's always top three is um that feeling of accomplishment uh you need to feel accomplished when you play a game right um so that's one of the main that we have as players you want to feel accomplished somehow uh if it's the satisfaction of having um three candies in a row and and getting that match or uh getting somewhere small objectives small tasks um that's so 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 important uh as, as a developer to understand and to scrap that itch of course um then you have like many nuances many profiles like people who are a little bit more competitive uh, a little bit more aggressive they just want to shoot other people um some people that want to create women for example are known in many markets uh, to be more um l- more um inclined towards fantasy for example so anything that you would be able to build, like fantasy worlds. So you need to really understand um, the user. Uh, to scratch that that itch. And I know this is uh, not an easy answer, it's not that one size fits all, but definitely the feeling of accomplishment is something that would be common to everyone. And then um, what I would say is something I said in one of my recent conferences, which is um, that you need to know the market, know the user and know the behavior. Uh, it's not the same itch probably or not the same behavior in uh, somewhere in uh, Saudi Arabia than in Mexico or Brazil or even the US. Uh, So you might even need to adapt uh, your game onboarding uh, or some part of the experience to those behaviors, those markets, those users.
1: Interesting, interesting. Um, So a couple kind of follow-ups. So first off, I've, I've heard, and so getting out of gaming a little bit, um, I've heard that a lot of, uh, service companies and apps have this thing that they kind of call this magic moment, um, where if you can get users to this magic moment, like in Twitter, it's like 10 followers or something, or in, in Slack, it's like a hundred messages. And I don't remember exactly where they are in different things, but you know, it's like, yeah, if we can get users to, to get this amount of friends in Facebook, they're basically going to be retained you know, forever. So how do we get more people to this magic moment? Um, would you say that there is an equivalent magic moment within games or is it more related to this itch and it's a little bit different for a game versus an app?
0: Yeah, I, I would definitely say that there's a magic moment where the user says, I, I'm, it might not be. As evident as with is uh, with an app like those seven friends in the first ten days for Facebook, which is the activation metric. Uh, but there's definitely something in gaming that will be that moment where the user gets into the flow, where they want to continue playing. Right when when the session length starts to grow, when they go past the onboarding point, when they want to do more on on your game. Right when when that kind of uh, switch kind of goes on um inside the 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 user's brain where they say this is actually fun i actually like this game i want to see what what's out there what what more can this game offer for sure awesome
1: and then the second thing that i was kind of noodling over as you were talking about um, you know this idea of achievement which i think is really important but i think games do one kind of additional thing and and that's this idea of fantasy so you know to me i see these you know zombie movies and you know it probably wouldn't actually be that much fun to live through in a zombie apocalypse um but i do have some curiosity around you know what would I do in that case? Like, would I survive? How would I play? How would that actually play out? So like that fantasy might be interesting to live. And I don't really want to live back in like the feudal days where, you know, there was knights and castles and stuff, but I'm kind of curious what it would be like to, you know, be a baron and have, you know, an army of troops and to be able to, you know, conquer another castle and, you know, you know, I've got these different fantasies and things. Um, I think games give us this unique opportunity where you can kind of, capitalize and actually allow people to experience some of these fantasies in ways that uh, you know wouldn't otherwise be possible, Um, how do you think fantasy kind of ties into this idea of scratching an itch.
0: I think it goes in the same way as uh, we were talking before. You can do any type of genre. You can do fantasy, uh, but you, by always keeping in mind what the user motivation uh, behind everything. Yes, you would have that motivation of knowing what it's like uh, to live in this kind of world, but you also need an additional uh, type of thing that would allow you to either progress or to socialize um or this uh need that we have of like autonomy to kind of create your own world so as long as you are as a developer um kind of mm, addressing this uh either of these needs or ideally the three of them, um, that would definitely go uh, along with games um, in, in fantasy or even um, within a puzzle, right? Um, you, you mentioned that, um, of course, you would like to know what it was like maybe to be a baron and to have like these armies, but some people just want to maybe um, do this um, crossover puzzle or uh, just do uh, a jigsaw puzzle. Um, but there's always this kind of common elements of motivation behind all of them. So it's just about tearing down what's the the main structure uh, behind everything, right? So when you're creating a game, so I'm not expert in creating games, so I just want to put this out there. Um, But by working in this industry, I have tried to do like some courses on game design and trying to understand a little bit more. Um, And one of the things uh, is that kind of the basics of any game um, is the same, right? You have some rules uh, that the user needs to follow and then some basic structure. And to that basic structure, of course, you can add some fantasy elements, you can add some knights, you can add some armies, but then you can add just simply like swapping pieces and exploding things like Crush, right? Um, but what's underlying that, What what's be- behind all of that, that's kind of a basic structure that um, the user needs to understand. and. Above that, you can build whatever you want, as long as you always keep in mind what's the user motivation. If you don't address um, the user motivation, you might have the best game, in your opinion, uh, of knights and barons and uh, castles and and knights. Um, But it probably won't be a huge success uh, because you're not addressing anything that um, the user is motivated by, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, that does make a lot of sense super interesting. Okay, um I do want to talk a little bit about the pure group idea. So so let's say I've put together my group of 8 to 10 games and I find that Archero is at the top of the list and they have like day one retention of what like 60%. I don't actually know where they're at, but I think it's like 50 to 60%. So I'm obviously far below that. Um you know I, I might find a few little things in my onboarding experience that I can you know suss through and, and work out and stuff um, but I'm still kind of underperforming um, do you think that there are, is a value in trying to talk to the players directly either like on the phone or a zoom or a survey or something like that um, and and how would you go about it and would you try to focus more on the people that came back? second day to understand like why did you come back or is it more important to try to figure out and i think this is the harder group but the people that just like downloaded the game and then just churned um because obviously there's a disconnect i mean it's not like it's easy to get someone to download your game right like you've got to show them an ad and most people just see those ads go by so it's got to be an enticing enough ad that i clicked it i got into the you know google play store or apple You know, and I I see the screenshots, it still looks engaging. The description's enticing enough for me to download it. Not only do I download it, but I actually have to open up the game and then like start playing it. And then I churn out. And so, obviously, somewhere in there, there was a disillusionment of what I thought I was getting and what I was actually getting. Um, Because in theory, it looks like that game should have been fun to me, right?
0: Um, I think you just hit a nerve, uh, to be honest, because yes, as I mentioned, um, I did UX research uh, for quite a while. I'm super passionate about research and researching the user. Uh, So there's massive value, and I cannot uh, stress this enough, in talking to your users. Uh, Both the current users and the churned ones, uh, I can't even stress how important it is to try to talk to all of your um, user groups. Definitely, uh, your current players can tell you why they keep on playing, what what they find valuable, uh, what they think can be improved. But definitely the churned ones can tell you what's wrong uh, with your game, right? What made them churn? And that, for me, at least, and this is my personal opinion, it's the most valuable of all feedbacks. They can tell you, um, you know, the exact reason why they decided to leave, uh, why they decided to leave at that specific point, what was the hurdle, what were the obstacles they couldn't overcome, um, what was bad enough for them to decide to churn. um, And that's super valuable. And just to go, just how to go about that, um, what I see usually is that developers are, and I see this also with notifications, just like talking to user, they they have this fear of annoying the user. And this is just a fun fact in between. there are many many studies around notifications uh push notifications and uh, there were studies that were kind of testing out what was better to do like maybe two push notifications a month three push notifications every two weeks something like that and then there was one group that they were testing out by and and they, push, they were sending two push notifications a day um and the ones that had the best retention of all of them uh, between three to 10X retention uh, compared to the other ones, were the ones that were sending two notifications a day, right? And I see so many developers being super worried about uh, sending push notifications, annoying the user. And But as long as they have value, as long as um, you're giving something to the user, as long as there is a call to action, it's relevant, it's personalized, um, everything is okay, the user wants to hear from you. Um, and that's the same, it, it's the same Thing for research. Users are always happy to talk about their experiences. You just need to reach out to them. Um, and I actually was using this app recently, and I, I actually became a subscriber. And after, I don't know, like two, three weeks after, I received an email uh, from the founders of the app, from the developers. And they were saying, hey, do you have maybe two minutes? We'd love to talk to our customers, learn about their experience. Um, we would be happy to set up a call and maybe they have like a currently link or they have um, another type of link or just reply to this email if you would be willing. So it's just about taking the initiative um, and reaching out to your users and more um, times that uh, you would think they are willing to talk to you and tell you about their experience and happy to contribute to create a better game uh, for them and in, in their experience and for the community. So um, I would encourage any developer just listening to this, just reach out, just reach out to your users and by any means. You can also use pop-ups um, in your game, like like a chat pop-up, like, hey, uh, we value you as a, customer, as a player, would you give us your opinion, would you share your thoughts and then maybe you can um, add a link to some other landing page where you can do that, you, where you would have um, either the possibility to, to chat to them or to um, I don't know, to register to another time slot that works for both of you, but just take the first step, just reach out. Uh, users are always happy to share uh, their experience and to tell you more about their experience with your game.
1: So, you know, in the case of, well, I mean, we have, we we live in the world of GDPR now, right? Um, And so I I feel like there's this hypersensitivity to, you know, collecting email addresses and things like that. Um, But like, if a user hasn't given me push notifications, and they've churned, and I don't have their email, there's, you know, really no way for me to get in touch with them that, you know, I can think of. So, you know, is that something that you'd, you know, recommend like early in the game when I'm just trying to understand like a pop-up of like, Hey, you know, we'd love to get to know you better and see how we're doing. You know, would it be okay if we shot you an email and set up a call and, you know, optionally let them put that in or like a, a survey that's early in there. And then like an optional question at the end of the survey of like, you know, can we get in contact with you to, you know, go over other questions or hop on a call You know, if so, put your email here, like, is that, you know, something that you would do or, you know, is it trying to get them to enable push notifications so you can like hit them with one like last dish push notification or something like that?
0: What I would say there is first rely on your data. So uh, first knowing when users are turning, if you have like a margin, uh, let's say like the first three minutes or four minutes, don't just uh do it and the first thing when the user gets into your game right uh, you want your, your your user to experience as much uh, of your game as possible without um, any additional things. Um, and the same goes for push notifications. Uh, one of the things that we always, always recommend and that we see all the time actually um, is for developers that have an iOS version. Uh, you open up the game and the first thing you see is, hey, do you want to receive push notifications? And you have like no context of the game. You haven't seen anything about it. You know if you like it or not, the value. So one of the things we always recommend is you wait for the right moment and you do it right like there are many many examples out there um games are doing it really really in a really cool way or apps that do it in a really cool way. Uh, they give you something, for example, you can see the value of something on the app or or the game, like a daily reward, for example, right? Uh, you get into a game, you play for like a minute or two, um, they give you this daily reward. And after that they can tell you something like, hey, don't miss out on uh, the next daily rewards or we have some random great rewards every once in a while. Um, Be sure to uh, have your push notifications um, activated. Do you want to activate them? Yes, no. And then if they say yes, then you would uh, kind of send that trigger messaging asking the user to allow those notifications, but not before, not without any context, not without the user experiencing a little bit of your game. so the, th- the same thing goes for uh, users who you want to chat to, uh, take into account your margin, so you can check account your analytics, your data. Of course, uh, if it's like one minute, they haven't experienced anything, you can just assume that you will lose some of them and uh, you won't be able to get them back. Um, and, and that those are users that, Are going to churn and you won't be able to talk to them but there are some users who you might be able to catch after right Uh, so Mm -hmm. maybe after a few minutes yes you can have uh maybe associated to a reward for example like uh hey we want to give you this uh but first to receive it can you just um i don't know like either give us your email or can would you be able to talk to us um you know for five minutes and get this amazing whatever uh item Something of value, right? That—that's the thing about rewards. If—if uh, if you just give out anything, maybe it doesn't work but if you give something of value to someone who is um, in in the first few minutes experiencing your game and, um, you know, being honest, I love honesty as a policy from developers. Sometimes you you see developers saying, you know, we do have advertising in this game for users who don't do any in-app purchases because we need to survive somehow. Um, And I think uh, that that kind of honest like candid honesty is like the best policy you kind of create this connection with the user uh which is great so you we would have to do the same to get users uh to talk to you just wait for the right moment, don't do it as soon as they open the game, uh, maybe offer something in return. Um, and of course, for games that have a login option, uh, that's great because you might be able to catch their email. So um, if it's something that you can do without annoying the user too much, like having social login, um, you know, telling the user the benefits, if they use social login, maybe they get like 5,000 coins they can use for, for whatever. Um, then that's something you can also leverage.
1: Yeah, that's really great. A game that I've seen the push notification invites done perfectly in is uh, Platika Slatomania, um, and they do it basically just how you outlined. It's like um, it doesn't happen right away. You're into the game a ways, and then it, they don't even know about it. Like there's a little dot, and you know, like you click it, you get this like daily reward, and it's like you know, do you want get, to get more of these or get notified when they happen? And then it, you know, if you say yes, then they give you the push notification. Like it's brilliantly done. Um, I've actually had you know some game developers argue against that where they said, well, we've AB tested it and if I just put it in right away, I actually get like 10% more people to opt in. And I haven't had a lot of great things to say against that, but you know I would argue that if you really dwell down from a data standpoint, and understand of the users that stick around and actually engage in those notifications and find them helpful, I would think that the ones that you invited later would actually have a much more meaningful impact, even if the total number that opted in might be smaller, but I don't know. Um, One last thing before we delve into market research, and that is this idea of Discord. So um, a, a lot of games lately have Uh, especially, you know, soft launched early stage games have started kind of putting together like a Discord server and like they have like a persistent, you know, button where you can just kind of join their Discord server or what have you. Um, Have you had any experience with that? Recommendations around that? Is that a good way to like get people to actually engage with you and, you know, give you that feedback? Or, you know, is it going to skew towards just the already very engaged people and you're going to miss the the greater mass?
0: I think it's just one alternative. Um, I'm a big fan of data and A-B testing. So uh, there are many, many tools out there. Of course, at Google, we use Firebase. But uh, I know developers use their own tools or third-party tools. I, I have nothing against Discord. I think if used right, it can be a great tool. Uh, you always need to do some priming, though. You need to prime the user before something, persistently ask the user to do something, or it's just another element of your UI. So, uh, again, like this honesty policy, like, hey, uh, you know, we would love to talk to you. We have this icon right here. You can even darken the screen. You can do it like a, a small queue um, that where you can connect with us, right? Uh, and I have seen many users who are grateful for that because either they get stuck in the onboarding, they want to connect to someone, and it's a great tool. Um, but with, as with any tool, you need to know how to use it and how to use it right. Uh, so what I would say there is definitely prime the user, tell them something before that comes out of nowhere. And then the other thing is A-B test, right? Maybe this um works for you, but maybe it would work. Um, there are other tools that would work better. Uh, so definitely it's about... Checking what works best with your game, when and where, uh, doing like different timings, different placements, um, and seeing how the users respond to that. So, big fan of data, big fan of checking, uh, you know, minute to minute how the, that evolves and how that works. Um, and if it works, then great. If not, uh, maybe it's just about testing some other tools or some other options.
1: That's awesome. I love that. Okay. So I want to switch gears and spend uh, probably most of the last of the time that we have together talking about market research. So especially in in game development. Now, I actually come a little bit from market research background, too. So I'm a fan of it. Um, But uh, there are some stigmas uh, in gaming when it comes to, like, giving your players surveys or trusting that data at all versus, like, you know, just being data-driven or informed or whatever you want to call it. Um, I personally like trying to have a complete picture of using what the player's done and aligning that with what the players have actually said and to get just like a complete picture. Um, But I'm, you know, curious in the past, like, have you seen surveys done well and have you seen them done poorly and like you know when should I actually use a survey and like who should I try to give that to you know should it be just my players should it be you know I try to give a survey to players in a game that isn't mine to like understand what they like about that or yeah illuminate us
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um okay so uh, I, this is just going a little bit into the basics of like market research and like service want to use them so service and and i'm going to try to be non-boring with this and uh, just going into the very basic so service is more of a quantitative method with me, which means that it's kind of a massive method. You would use it for uh, when you have like many, many users um, to, that you want to get their feedback on and of things that um, maybe they don't require as many um, insights as possible. So closed options, right? Uh, maybe uh, you have like three uh, field options, some standardized options that you're giving the users and then uh, you let them choose from all of those options, one of them and, and then uh, you try to see which one was the one that got mo- the most modes for example um, and with quantitative what you try to do usually is try to prove a, a hypothesis right uh, so for example what you would do is um, ideally when you're doing uh, market research or user research is you would talk to users first so that's more qualitative you do like a one to one kind of method or a, kind of a more um, a method that requires less people um, and then from talking to those users from maybe those interviews from those usability testing you develop an hypothesis Uh, and maybe you say in my onboarding if I change this for that then I think that I would improve my day one retention by x Um, and then that's when the survey comes in you have a very clear objective so for good service you have to have a very clear objective with what you want to prove or demonstrate or, or to get from that survey. Um, and then you would send that survey to um, a, a kind of um, more massive audience than and the one you had when you were doing this other kind of method, maybe like the usability testing, which is one-to-one or an interview, right, which, which is one-to-one. Um, so you take those insights from maybe uh, these more qualitative methods and then you translate them into your survey to try to prove those points or maybe to disprove them, right? Uh to, to try to get something very specific out of out, out of that survey. Uh you wouldn't be asking very um kind of what 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 they are called close questions like do you like our game? Yes no uh do you think our reporting is good yes no right uh you would try to um get these other Kind of closed options uh that tell you something very specific from an hypothesis you already have um if if that makes sense um you know the, to your question tom um when, when to use surveys
1: yeah super interesting i like that a lot um do you think that there is value in trying to do um that's how would i say like a, a segmented survey um like if i can Uh, Okay, for an example, let's say I ran a special time-limited event this last weekend over Labor Day, it's like a Labor Day event, Um, and I noticed that uh, of the 100,000 players that logged in, um, only 50,000 of them actually engaged in that event. Um, So would there be value in trying to give a survey just to the 50,000 people that didn't engage in that event to ask them, you know, why didn't you do that? You know, something like, you know, I I didn't know about it or the rewards weren't interesting or, you know, I didn't have time or or something else um, such that the next time that I run that event, hopefully I can use that information to make a better version of it. Like if 50% of them just didn't know that it was even going on, then maybe I just need to like change how I'm doing my messaging and the introduction to it or whatnot. Um, And maybe now it's only 30% of those people um, no longer don't engage in it.
0: Definitely. I'm a huge fan of audience segmenting for everything, not only service. Uh, So just like, um tailoring the experience of your game to different audiences uh this is something i always stress in our consultations different markets behave differently so you can't treat your game the same for a user in brazil than for a user in germany or the us they have different behaviors different um purchase behavior different um kind of tolerance to ads for example different uh tolerance to the risk, different, um, I don't know, like reward preferences. And you need to figure those out to make the most out of your game and to really resonate with those audiences. And it's the same with surveys, right? Uh, You need to segment your audience um, and to try to get the most out of these different um, audiences that are generated uh, with different either events on your game or with different stages. So you would have a survey for um, the onboarding, you would have a survey for users who stuck with you until day 30, what's called day 30 retention. You would have a survey for users who are your highest um, engaged cohort, um, and then for the least engaged cohort. And definitely for if you do an event, uh, you would want to know why people didn't engage with it, wasn't it attractive enough? Was the timing wrong? Uh, was it not promoted enough? Was um, was it too short, for example? Um, and definitely listening to that feedback is key to try to do it better in the future. Um, and this is one mistake I've seen over and over, which is not listening to user feedback, right? Um, I see many developers wondering like, what do we do next in our roadmap? Um, and sometimes when we do the consultation, when we do, um, you know, the, the kind of UX teardown, um, we tell them some things, and they are like, "Oh yeah, we have this in our roadmap for like, in, you know, in two years, but we might like rethink that and and do it now, right?" Um, so it's just about learning what um, those users for that event found useful or not insightful um, or not and then using that information to improve your game, right? Uh, it, it's not worth it to do like all the work of a market research or a user research if you're not going to use that in a valuable way for your game. Um, of course, you don't have to do everything that the user suggests, but again, if you do have an hypothesis, you can get some very valuable insights and adjust your roadmap and uh, future live ops depending on the feedback you get.
1: Yeah, that's really good, okay. So I'm gonna ask you a little bit about uh, survey questions now because uh, I think it's very easy to do what's called uh, a leading question um, where you encourage the answers. Um, So I'm actually going to ask you, you know, in that example, pretend I have a game, we ran a Labor Day weekend event, how would you actually go about writing it? And for the audience, um, just before we get to that, um, a leading question would basically be something like uh, if you've ever seen any of the U.S. political ads when, you know, somebody's going to be elected, um, you know, you see the uh, ad for Trump put on by, let's say, Biden, and it's like, you know, did you know that Trump does, you know, XYZ to children or or whatnot? Um, and then, you know, an associated survey question would be like, you know, do you agree with Trump harming children? And I, I don't think any of this stuff exists, but like, it kind of leads you to where it's like, well, oh, I, I better say no, because I don't want to like agree with that thing. Um, and there's lesser versions of that too. But that's kind of the idea of like, if you're not careful about wording the question just right it can encourage people to think that they want you to or you want them to answer a certain way and then they do and that can skew your results because it's not what they actually believe.
0: Yeah definitely and for gaming you can say something like how fun was this event and that's also a leading question right Uh, because you're assuming the user found your event fun so something not leading would be something like how did you find this event? And then you give the user some options uh, or you, you can have an open-ended question for the user to tell you what they thought, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, you know, I, I find open-ended questions can be very illuminating uh, if you have got players that are willing to engage in them, but they can also be, you know, really tedious to you know, go through. So, you know, do you have recommendations of when you would use open-ended versus, you know, just like a closed poll? Um, Like if I know it's probably one of these five options, would that be where I, you know, do the multi-choice versus an open-end where I like, I really have no idea what this is, so I just want to see the spectrum and understand.
0: Yeah, so I think uh, close questions, um, as I said, you have more of a, an hypothesis of uh, what might be going on after you, you had like some initial research with your users. Uh, so you know like a, a few things about the event, right? Like you have a spectrum of uh, users find it from um, tedious to boring to, you know, not worth it. Um, But you you would use a more open question probably uh, when you want to gather some insights on on some other aspects that uh, you don't really have that previous theory from that hypothesis. Uh, So you want to test that out with those users. So just let me know, for example, about your experience um you know you you want just to gather something um more general for example um from from the game itself so you're asking about an event but then you want to to ask the user like can you describe, um, you know, how how would you describe our game, or you know, what what do you think are the improvements that or the next features that we should include in our game? Right, uh, you don't have a theory about that. You just want the user to express themselves freely, and that can be of massive value too, right? If you talk to the right users, because you might start seeing that some patterns repeat themselves. And this is something I have seen a lot in research, like what are the things that, um, you know, are are not working well? Um, And then you start seeing some patterns and and that's the the value, that's the, the beauty of research, right? You start seeing some patterns, you start seeing that, oh, you know, many users mentioned whatever about this game. So maybe we should pay closer attention uh, to this feature. Maybe we should develop um, this other thing.
1: That's awesome. Oh, and I have so many more questions, but I know we're out of time here. So I have one last uh, unofficial question for you because it is the Mastering Retention Podcast. That is, you know, what's one tip or trick or lesson you've learned over the years? You know, how do you keep players around for longer in a game?
0: I think it all comes down to these kind of three key concepts, which is knowing the market, knowing the user and knowing the behavior. That definitely includes data, uh, but it and it includes research. So, um, and one one trick that I would want to put out there is that many developers think about research as something that has to be done by experts. It's so um, you know foreign to them. It's so far away from what they do day to day. Um, but actually, you know, you can do a usability testing by just grabbing your game and uh, showing it to your grandma, for example, uh, right? Just to know about if there are any usability issues, um, any friend, um, you know, who is not maybe not that close to you or uh, some family member that doesn't have um any shyness in, in telling you the truth. You would just give them your game and ask them to play and ask them uh, to do some specific tasks, for example. And then you can see, um, you know, how your game plays out, the usability of your game, if there are, like, any issues. And I I have seen, like, so many issues that could be prevented, um, you know, before launching it to the market. If you would do that, if you would just take any being that's close to you and show them your game and ask them to perform a few tasks and see how they do it and see if that's clear um, That, that th- th- so many issues could be prevented so um, usually testing is not something um, that has to be done by an expert has to be done by a team you need to hire someone you can just do it yourself as a developer so definitely um, key to knowing the users um, do our research on the market you're launching your game to know what users um, like what they don't like what they are afraid of how in-app purchases work in that market. Brazil, for example, um, doesn't have that much of a high penetration of credit cards. So how do you solve for that? Are you going to partner uh, with any local, for example, uh, provider, suppliers of, um, you know, payments, or are you going to offer some other things? So just keep that in mind, know the market, know the user, know the behavior. um, And that's definitely something that's key for mastering retention.
1: That's great. That's so good. Well, Natalie, thank you so much for for joining us today. Uh, Hopefully we can maybe have you uh, back at some point in the future as well. Um, If folks do wanna get a hold of you, is there a good way to reach out?
0: Uh, Definitely just search for me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm active there. Or uh, Tom, I know uh, in your LinkedIn, we have talked uh, a bit. So uh, feel free to also mention me and anyone who wants to reach out, uh, feel free to connect with me there.
1: Sounds good. All right, thank you so much, Natalie. Thanks, Bye.
0: Tom.